Hello, everyone, and welcome to Employment Matters, a legal and HR podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. Today, we have a special briefing based on some information that came to all of us last Thursday from President Biden as he delivered his path out of the pandemic speech, followed by two important meetings with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the Department of Labor. Today, we're going to unpack those meetings and all the details that come out of that with two special guests, David Fortney, managing partner at Fortney Scott. David is also the chair of the ELA's Government Affairs Committee, and Bill Wayhoff, a partner at Steptoe & Johnson, PLLC. Bill is also the chair of the ELA's Occupational Safety and Health Committee. Gentlemen, welcome to the program today. Thank you, Peter. It's and, great uh, to be here. So let's get into this memo that you wrote. We appreciate all our ELA members are circulating it now to their clients, but I think it's important that we share with our audience just what happened over the last week. It's certainly moved the needle in many ways. So who's going to kick us off on that? Well, I think that we just want to mention that the path out of the pandemic plan that was released by the White House on Thursday and with the president's speech late in the afternoon on Thursday covered a number of topics, including vaccinating the unvaccinated. We're going to talk about that today. Further protecting the vaccinated through booster shots, keeping schools open, and improving care for those with COVID-19. We're going to cover the employment-related issues today, and we really want to tell all of our listeners what we do know and what we don't know so far, because none of the, well, the CMS and the Emergency Temporary Standard have not yet been drafted and released. So what we want to do first is talk about the different areas. First of all, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS. There have been two different pronouncements by the White House. The one saying that nursing home staff, as well as nursing home and long-term care facility staff must be vaccinated. And then on Thursday, released the plan that staff in hospitals and other CMS regulated settings, including clinical staff, individuals providing services under arrangements, volunteers and staff who are not involved in direct patient resident or client care, including dialysis facilities, ambulatory surgical settings, and home health care agencies must be vaccinated. Dave, what about the president's two executive orders? Right. So continuing the trend of trying to really robustly impose vaccination requirements, as was done in the medical arena, the president on Thursday announced two executive orders. One of those addresses the federal workforce, and of course, the federal government's the largest employer in the country, and the other addressed a very important segment of employers, federal contractors, about 25% of the employers in this country. In a nutshell, the executive order for the federal workforce says that all federal employees must be vaccinated, period. They must be vaccinated. So the prior practice to this point has been that you could either have a vaccine or be tested. The test out option is being eliminated. Of course, there still is the recognition and following of accommodations, both for medical or religious reasons. But otherwise, there will be a vaccination requirement. Contractors, some important details still remain for us to see. 
That executive order, although the president said we want contractors, workers to be treated the same as federal employees, his executive order actually is a little more nuanced than that. And it says, well, we have this task force that's been running and prescribing what the terms and conditions are for the federal employees. We're going to have that task force update its guidance to apply to all federal contractors, workers, and their homework, if you will, that that updated guidance is due September 24th, so in less than two weeks. What we anticipate seeing, though, will be essentially the same core requirements that the federal employees themselves are subject to, meaning that federal contractors will be required to have all of their workers, and note I'm saying workers, not just employees, but independent contractors, vaccinated, and they will not have a test-out option, of course, with the same accommodation requirements. So that represents, Bill, I think, kind of the high watermark. I mean, that's kind of the ultimate. It's either a vaccine or you don't get to work. And also then, of course, the big announcement was that OSHA is going to write an emergency temporary standard requiring all employers of 100 or more employees to have all of their workers vaccinated or tested at least weekly before continuing to work. And so the employers that are 100 or more obviously will include federal contractors, right, Dave? That's right. Federal contractors will have to comply not only with this new OSHA regulation that we're going to unpack, but also with their own specific obligations to be announced in the near future. And whichever is most protective, and by the way, to the extent that states or localities have more protective requirements, employers also have to be mindful and still meet those requirements too. So we did have a chance then to hear what the Department of Labor had to say about what they know about this standard. Now, clearly it has not been written or written fully, but one of the representatives did highlight a few issues. All of the agencies responsible for employment, the EOC, OSHA, Wage and Hour Division, will be cooperating to seek consistency here. So that kind of remains to be seen. We'll just have a few comments on some of that later in this podcast. But she did say that the emergency temporary standard will not apply to employees who do not come into work. And that would be 100% of the time. You know, so if an employee comes into work 10% of the time, it would apply to that employee. So we have to keep in mind, it's really all or nothing. It will, though, apply to those who do not come into work, but who come into contact with other people outside the office in the course of business. So outside salespeople, maybe who work out of their homes, certainly would be covered by this if they're out dealing with the public or dealing with customers of the employer. And clarified, you know, one question is, does it apply to just establishments, meaning locations of the employer, the 100 or more employees, or does it apply to the whole company? And she answered that question clearly, all of the employees of the company will be counted to meet the 100 or more employee threshold. She did not, interestingly, know who would pay for the testing, but it will be covered. It's expected to be covered in the emergency temporary standard. And OSHA will require the employer, of course, to provide leave to employees to obtain the vaccinations and for any side effects or after effects. Now, one interesting comment 
This will not change collective bargaining obligations for employers. And clearly with the government mandating vaccination or testing, that subject of bargaining really is down to effects bargaining. So there will be effects bargaining, but not bargaining over whether or not there is a policy because basically the government's mandating it. Do you have any comments on that, Dave? I've got lots of comments on all of that, but it, uh, <laughs> I mean, I think the point, uh, let's just sort of start with the collective bargaining. I think that most people already, those that are kind of on the leaning forward into this, that have collective bargaining relationships are already engaging with their unions in essence saying, look, we know this is coming. Let's talk about how we implement it and trying to get that cleared out because you don't want to have a protracted and get hung up in bargaining or heavens reach impasse. I mean, that's the last thing you want to do over these issues. I suppose you could if you needed to, but I think that should be avoided, particularly with this labor department and labor board that's very sympathetic to union concerns. But I think, I think that the issues, you know, Bill, one of the most fundamental points, the hundred or more OSHA, the government has estimated this will impact about 80 million workers in our country, 80 million. And what it also means, I think, as a practical matter is that many employers who typically may not worry about OSHA day in and day out are going to have to get up to speed on this and understand that. I mean, if you're in construction or manufacturing, you're fairly familiar with OSHA. You know what a, a, a record-keeping obligation is, a worker, a log of injuries, what OSHA inspections look like. You may have been subjected to those. But now we're talking about thousands, hundreds of thousands of workplaces that before have never really given much thought to OSHA professional services firms, insurance companies, law firms, anyone that has 100 or more employees is going to be subject to this. I think there's one other wrinkle that I just want to make sure we understand. This is all premised on this grave danger concept and that an emergency standard is required and OSHA has to be able to demonstrate to, in order to do an end run around normal notice and comment that it, there is a grave danger, that they can publish this standard with no opportunity to comment on the draft. So as a result, what happens with the Delta variant and future variants is going to be very important whether the grave danger continues to be, whether it exists today, I think many would say it certainly does, and whether it continues to exist in the future and for how long. These are issues, and this is uncharted territory. OSHA really has never, like so many aspects of the COVID pandemic, we just haven't faced this. But I think that's going to be an interesting issue more down the road, but in the short run, so many employers are going to be faced with this challenge. Again, on the practical side, you know, Ann Rosenthal, who was on Friday again, she indicated that OSHA would not get involved in the emergency temporary standard regarding the discipline employers might impose on employees who refuse the vaccination or the testing. And of course, given the government mandate for the 100 employees or more size employer, certainly if the employee refuses even testing at that point, we have a different situation than we do now where OSHA has just been issuing guidance. And basically, when we look at what discipline might occur, certainly progressive disciplinary policies, do you really think that those would be effective? If someone's refusing a test, it might be an immediately terminable offense. Those are things that employers need to think about now. 
among the things of developing, well, what is the disciplinary policy going to look like here? Because obviously OSHA is not going to prescribe that in this emergency Correct. temporary standard. So what are some of the other things that employers should do now, Dave? I think those that are going to be subject, if you have 100 or more employees, need, and if you're not familiar with OSHA, start thinking about some of the basic requirements that are up there. You know, that you'll need to have a workplace plan. You need a communication strategy to address how this is going to be rolled out to inform your workforce as to what the requirements are. You need to have a mechanism in place. I mean, OSHA is going to be requiring that you check to see whether people are vaccinated. That means that you have to, in some fashion, look at a vaccination record. We don't know if a verification, a verified statement will be sufficient or whether we're actually going to have to look at the cards. Uh, and maybe it's a best practice to actually look at the cards. But Bill, I know one thing that I think will catch many people by surprise, those what are called medical records under OSHA requirements, how long do you have to store those? Well, employment plus 30 years, which is why a lot of employers have been reluctant to keep vaccination cards up till this point, because even though asking whether someone is vaccinated is not considered a medical inquiry by the EOC, under the OSHA law and EOC law, that is a medical record. And in the OSHA regs, that's employment plus 30 years, which is a shockingly long period of time for those employers who are used to you know, much shorter document retention times Correct. and also not wanting to get involved. So what level will be enough for OSHA? It remains to be seen in that regard. But when we look at other practical sides that Dave looked at, reasonable accommodation processes, religious and disability type claims that, well, you know, I can't be vaccinated because you know, I have this medical condition or, you know, my religion is against it. And of course, it remains to be seen whether or not those kind of claims where the undue hardship measurement will occur. And so undue hardship in the religious area has been rather low. That's been a rather low standard. But in the disability area, it's been rather significant. Do you see any change, Dave, in that bar for these purposes? No. Uh, I mean, EOC has been very clear on that and consistent, both during the prior administration and this administration. I think one of the other components that's going to be very important is paid time, compensable time to think about. Time spent either to process the, I mean, the, the OSHA standard is going to say that the time spent for being vaccinated and any sick effects that may follow if you become sick, and some have, must be compensable. We understand you're going to be able to use your PTO policies to draw down for that purpose. What about time spent for testing if you are not vaccinated? Not completely clear. The Labor Department previously issued guidance under the Fair Labor Standards Act saying that that would be compensable, and many state wage hour laws would suggest that that time spent testing that may be required if you are not vaccinated also would be compensable. This is, I think, another point that well-counseled employers right now, even though we don't have all the details, you know these basic obligations, what, what's coming down the pike, and you can begin to sort out some of these requirements and determine how you're going to comply 
when we are privy to the specific details. Yes, and unless the wage and hour division changes its guidance or its you know mandate, really, because this is a mandated program from OSHA, that will remain the testing and whatnot will be compensable time. We clearly are getting the feeling that non-vaccinated folks aren't going to be as favorably treated in this OSHA emergency temporary standard, which is much different from what OSHA was saying back in January. But given the president's new mandate, some of the things we've talked about, you know, collective bargaining, we've talked about compensability, talked about testing. It might be that employees, at least under the OSHA part of this and and supposedly coordinated with the other agencies, employees who refuse the vaccination and, you know, a final refusal, and then they rely on testing. It could be those employees will be treated less favorably under the emergency temporary standard and then the coordinated standards, but we're not counting on that. So real quick, I just wanted to mention that what Dave said before, this emergency temporary standard will need to go through the Office of Management and Budget OIRA process that the healthcare emergency temporary standard went through. So we're talking about a number of weeks. How many? We don't know. Nine to 12 weeks, maybe, or, you know, it's anyone's guess really how long this process is going to take. And so, Dave, what are the other things? that the employer, what are the takeaways the employer should have about other things they should be doing in the meantime? Right. So I think I think that there are a couple of key takeaways and just use these as sort of my final thoughts here. The workforce communication strategies, getting that in place, starting to become familiar, those employers that are not well-versed in OSHA requirements, record keeping, and some of the other basic requirements, OSHA logs, you don't know what we're talking about, you need to get up to speed on that quickly. And then assessing how you're going to go about getting vaccinations, what vaccination services are there under your insurance plan, what's available in the localities in which your workers are going to need to be vaccinated, and how you're going to roll that out and keep tabs on all that, who's vaccinated, who's being tested, and of course, what the testing protocols are. So I actually think even though we don't have the details, Bill, we actually have the gift of time We've got a couple of weeks here, but employers need to move on this now. They need to start now their preparations. So my final message is, if you don't have a written COVID-19 infectious disease control and prevention plan yet, have one. Write one now. If you're an office, if you're a retailer, no matter what your sector is in, manufacturing, construction, et cetera, And then think about how a mandatory vaccination policy or testing every week policy fits in with your COVID-19 prevention plan and have it be a written plan and have this be covered as part of that plan. So even though only healthcare employers are required to have a plan right now, all employers have been guided since March of 2020 to have a written COVID-19 plan. This should be part of it. Thank you very much, Peter. And we appreciate the chance to help out in this. this Always great to have you gentlemen on there. And again, for our audience, if you're not familiar with the ELA, 
Check us out at ela.law. You'll find lots of information about COVID. We have a COVID-19 regulations for each state in the U.S., as well as many of the countries around the globe. Also attached to this program, please find this memo that was authored by David and Bill and their committees, along with a list of valuable government resources that you can link to. They mentioned it again and again. We've started this in March 2020. We still have some time, but the key is get moving, get started. So, gentlemen, thanks again for helping us out with that. We always appreciate your time. If you'd like to connect with any of our lawyers on the program, please search with on the ELA website at ela.law, where you can find information on upcoming webinars, download white papers, get access to our on-demand content, or use the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks for listening.